Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. All right, thank you and on with the show. In recent years, diabetes has been a regular news topic. At least diabetes type 2 has been, as rising rates in Australia have caused government and health organisations to look at what can be done to actually prevent the disease in the first place. Diabetes type 1, on the other hand, is something many of us know very little about. Diabetes New South Wales and ACT are trying to change this with a new resource for schools. It's called AS1. And the reason it is directed at schools is that children, of course, get diabetes type 1. And it is quite a tricky condition to manage as both a child and a parent. So to understand what it's like to live with type 1 diabetes or have a child with type 1 diabetes, we have Olivia Crowley in the studio. Her daughter's eight. Hey, how are you? Hi. That was, hey, hey, how are you? <laughs> and we also have Kate Goodoff with us. She's an educator from Diabetes New South Wales and ACT. Hello. Hello. Nice to have you here. Kate, we do have to start with um, just explaining that difference. Even though I have heard it before, I always forget. What is the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? Yeah, so type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition. Um, And what that means is the body's immune system has um, actually destroyed the cells in the pancreas that produce insulin. And insulin is that hormone that's necessary to help lower um, the body's blood glucose levels. Um, It's not caused by diet or lifestyle factors in the same way that type 2 diabetes can be. Um, So people uh, do confuse the two. Um, Type 1 diabetes is managed through insulin injections um, because the body's not able to produce any insulin. Um, type 2 diabetes, um, it can be caused by genetic factors as well as some lifestyle factors. Um, and it's not necessarily managed with insulin. It can be managed with diet or lifestyle changes, medication or insulin. Right. So, Olivia, your daughter, Bella, I understand, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes last year. Yeah. How difficult was it for you to actually get a diagnosis like what sort of things were you noticing with her um so I think everyone's story is a little bit different but for us um in hindsight she had every symptom under the sun but at that time she had just the usual things that little kids complain about like itchy skin sore tummy tired eyes she'd lost a bit of weight but they grow and then they go out and then they go up and then they go out Um, But it wasn't until she was um, drinking an awful lot of water and getting up several times a night and at school, which was obviously interrupting her uh, day-to-day learning at school, that she was going to the bathroom a lot. And she'd suffered a lot of um, urinary tract infections as a little baby, and I sort of thought this was coming back. So we took her to the doctor for a urine test, but it turned out that it was diabetes and we were sent straight to the hospital. So I was very lucky, or Bella was very lucky, that her GP caught it straight away. Um, But a lot of little kids don't get that diagnosis straight away and they end up really, really sick in hospital. But we were very fortunate to avoid that. I like that you see the silver lining on that. But I imagine when you were sitting in that GP's office and they said, right, 
you're off to hospital, we think she's got diabetes. You must have been freaking out. Yeah, the shock was amazing. I mean, when the doctor rang me the next day and just checked in on us and he said, oh, my God, your face, Olivia, when when I said (laughs) that word. Uh, Because I took both the kids, I've got an older son, both kids with me, expecting just to drop them at school with some antibiotics. And uh, I had to literally throw my son through the front gate and rush off to hospital. He said, don't pack a bag, just go straight there. And my poor little son, he's 10, but he just had the worst day at school where he kept going to his teacher crying. And I mean, in hindsight, I should have rung and said, she's okay, she's fine. I think your head was somewhere else. Yeah, it was just, it was a massive shock. I mean, I just, I just couldn't believe that that, that she could have that, that this was, you know, something that, that was even possible. Hadn't even crossed my mind. And when he said that to you, did you immediately understand the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? Well, I did because one of my professions is as a physio. So we did learn a lot of that sort of side of things because we had many, or I worked with a lot of patients more with type 2, but we did know the difference. Um, But I didn't know the magnitude of how it was going to change our life. Mm, We're going to get to that in a minute. (laughs) We'll just let you recover from remembering the diagnosis. It was only last year. Yeah, just late August last year. So we're very... Still considered very much in the new new days of it all. And getting used to it. Kate, um, when we hear of children being diagnosed at the age of eight, my first reaction when I heard that age was to think, that sounds really late. But then I thought, hold on, it's an autoimmune disease. You could get it at any time of your life. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So look, the peak age of diagnosis is about 11 to 12 to 13 years of age. Um, but you can certainly develop type 1 diabetes into adulthood. Um, it's less common, for sure. But um, but yeah, that's that's pretty common is to have type 1 diabetes diagnosed in childhood. And Olivia was saying she, was, she feels very lucky that her GP was able to pick it up so quickly. Do you find that GPs are across the symptoms and, you know, able to diagnose as well as Olivia's GP did? Uh, Olivia's GP did an amazing job. Um, Absolutely. So picking it up straight away and sending her straight to hospital avoided all of that time period where you think they're sick, they're suffering from the flu or something else. And while the child just gets sicker and sicker. Um, So you do hear horror stories like that, unfortunately, of young kids who it's not picked up straight away. Um, Are they across it? I think like anything, um, it it depends on the GP and what their knowledge is um, and how they've been trained. So what what could have happened? I mean, we don't want to think about this for Bella because goodness knows you don't want to imagine this for your own child. But um, what what is the scenario for children if it doesn't get picked up? At, at, let's just say at the stage that Bella was at. So she's um, going to the toilet a lot. She's drinking a lot. She's got sore tummy, tired eyes. She's eight years old. Mm-hmm. What happens if it doesn't get caught? So the body um, begins to break down fat uh, to to make energy because that glucose, which is sugar, um, is in the blood and it's not able to be used for energy because there's not any insulin on board um, to bring that glucose into the cells of the body to provide the energy that's needed. So your body begins to break down fat um, and other things in order to compensate for that lack of energy. As a byproduct of that, um, you produce these things called ketones. Um, And in type 1 diabetes, they can develop a condition called uh, diabetic ketoacidosis, or DKA for short. Um, And that just means that there's ketones um, that are in in the body, um, in the bloodstream. They can be tested in the urine. Um, 
And that condition can be quite serious. So um, it could result in coma or, you know, unfortunately in death as well. So, yeah, it can it can progress um, and it can become quite serious. Uh, so. Does it happen quickly? Like in, in terms of, I think most parents, even though hearing that end result is horrifying, most parents do get this sense of there's something wrong. So even mm. though Olivia didn't know that it was diabetes, type 1 diabetes, she did know there was something happening. Yes. And had, I, I hazard to guess as a parent that had the GP said, it's a urinary tract infection and the antibiotics did nothing, then you would have gone for back to the GP or to a second opinion or whatever. You know, you keep going. How quickly do children deteriorate um, once this has started to happen in their bloodstream? Look, for some kids it can be really quick. Um, so, yeah, that's why it's so essential for people to know and, and recognize the signs and symptoms. Um, and parents are switched on. They, they know when something's not right. Um, and so if you feel that something's not right, you know, do go back, do press your GP, um, do ask to have a test, um, a, a blood glucose test done uh, if you suspect something. Um, and then, yeah, recognizing those signs and symptoms is also really vital. Something that, um, Olivia, you were saying, it sounds like this is your regular GP. Is it someone you see all the time? Uh, it's not, actually. It's not? Okay. No, I got it at an emergency appointment, um, and we've actually moved doctor's surgeries and the one that we normally see, which is still quite new to us. But he, fortunately, it was like it was sent to us from the universe. He spent a lot of time at the children's hospital with um, Bella's actual endocrinologist which is her specialist that looks after her as a diabetic and he knew her really really well so he's obviously been exposed I see. to kids with type 1 diabetes quite a bit in his profession and he works a lot with children so we're very lucky yeah. um so no it's not so he didn't know her that was the first time he has has ever met her right because I was going to say <laughs> one of the things I have heard is it's great to have a regular GP mm. because they a little bit like a parent know when a child's a bit off mm. as opposed to like you said the symptoms that you mentioned like even this morning my daughter told me the whole way to school that she was going to throw up and I'm like <laughs> you're not going to throw up I know you're not going to throw up but sore tummies is so common mm. for children I mean, she's six, but it seems to be something, you know, the little complaints they have, it's hard to know. Um, so on that note, Kate, tell me what the <laughs> symptoms are so people can't just look at their child and rush them off to the GP because they've got a sore tummy. Yeah, well, I, Olivia mentioned some of the common ones. So weight loss, you can often see quite a bit of weight loss in the um, days or weeks preceding a diagnosis. Um, yeah, itchy skin is common, sore tummy really feeling very tired, drinking quite a lot, so like an insatiable thirst, yeah. um, and then with that weighing quite a bit as well. Um, yeah, yeah one of the other things I notice now in hindsight is if you take lots of photos of your kids. So if I look at a photo of Bella now that she's diagnosed and somewhat better than before, and then a photo of her, say, a month before she was diagnosed, she looks like a different child. She's got a very sort of grey pallor to her face, um, very sunken eyes, and she just looks unwell. So, I mean, maybe that's, you know, if you're suspecting something, flip back through your photos and have a look oh, and I see like if your child too. looks a little bit different. Um, yeah, so my, some of the other ones were the itchy skin, the um, to really tired, blurry vision at night when she was tired trying to do her readers at night, which, again, you just think 
they are trying to get out of it. Yeah, or they they are tired from a day yes, at school. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Kate mentioned all the the typical ones, but I think for us, the weeing and the drinking that was is really abnormal. Like she was a gone to sleep at seven, wake up at seven child, and she was up three times a night weeing and filling her water bottle. Wow. So that was very unusual for her, and that was really what sort of took us to the next step that something wasn't right. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Olivia Crowley. She's a parent of a child who has diabetes. And Kate Goodoff, who is a, I should say, a credentialed diabetes educator with Diabetes New South Wales and ACT, which just means she knows what she's talking about. Um, We are talking about type 1 diabetes, and we've just been talking about when Bella, Olivia's daughter, who's eight years old, was diagnosed, which was only last year. Olivia, you mentioned earlier that you had no sense really at the diagnosis just how much this was going to impact on your life as a family and on Bella's life. I know that you're still in the sort of getting used to it phase, but can you tell me what does this mean for Bella in her day-to-day life and, and for you as a family? Um, I guess the first thing I would say is kids are amazing and they're very um, resilient and adaptable. She's taken to it like a duck to water, um, which is fantastic. Having said that, that's probably her personality because there are some parents I've spoken to and every finger prick, every needle, every anything about diabetes is just an absolute nightmare for them. And I really feel for them because it is a 24-7 job, 24-7 you have to be dealing with this. So... Um, I'm very lucky that Bella is so adaptable to it, but um, every part of her day is kind of different, you know. Um, She can still be a normal kid. She can still do normal things. It's probably more stressful at this age for the parent than the child because they just kind of get on with it. And you're the one that's taking the responsibility, really. Yeah. So, you know, she sits down to breakfast. You have to work out what she's eating, how many carbohydrates that is, how much insulin she needs, and then you have to watch what that does to her so that next time she eats that breakfast, you might need to adjust that. So I think the mental exhaustion is probably one of the biggest changes for me because I'm constantly got this extra burden of what she's eating, how she's going, um, where her sugars are and, and how her day's sort of going along in regards to her, her diagnosis of diabetes versus you can just put breakfast in front of them, walk away and do something else. You can't really do that. You have to make sure that they have bolus for that food and that they haven't forgotten it. Otherwise, things are just all going to go pear-shaped. And when you say pear-shaped, what happens if you aren't on top of that all the time? So there's two scenarios that can happen. Well, I suppose there's three scenarios. She can eat something and you bolus for it and it's great. (laughs) Her sugar, you've given her enough insulin and her sugar stays lovely and level. Um, One of the other scenarios is that what she's eaten versus the amount of insulin you've given her is not, she's eaten less than the insulin and then she will get what's called a hypoglycemic attack, which means that the insulin has taken too much of her blood sugar away and she goes very low. And this can result in her feeling quite um, shaky, weak. She goes very pale, a little bit not quite um, communicating fully. She looks a little bit vague. And that's quite scary because if that drops quickly, they can go into a coma and you have to give them an injection to bring them out of that, which is frightening. Um, And then the other scenario is that what they've eaten and versus the amount of insulin you've given them is they've eaten 
too much. So their blood sugar shoots through the sky. And in that situation, they then get thirsty. She gets very grumpy, very tired. Um, so it's like a roller coaster ride. And particularly for us newly diagnosed, um, we just have no stability in her levels yet. So her day is just up and down and up and down. And so I'm constantly watching where she's going and what she's doing. And that's exhausting on her little body too, to be not nice and and stable Mm. and obviously being at school she's having to manage these hypos the low sugar and the hypers the high sugar at school by herself so um and when you say i just take going on from that olivia says um has said mentioned that bella has to manage that for herself at at school is that part of the reason why you guys developed this resource as one Mm. for schools so that girls like Bella's boys that have a similar condition can feel supported by their teachers as well because eight is still so very young to be managing something like this and they're at school for six hours a day and that's that's if you can get there and pick them up at three o'clock you know Goodness, after-school care is brilliant, but they don't even do homework in after-school care. So, um, Kate, can you tell us a bit about the resources you've developed and how um, schools might be able to support someone like Bella? Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, there's the As One um, resources available, and that includes a whole host of resources and tools to help support uh, children, their families, schools in the care of uh, someone living with type 1 diabetes. So... It includes the As One Diabetes website, um, and on that website there's information for kids, parents or carers, and also schools. Uh, there's webinars for uh, schools available on the As One website where they can watch a bit more information and understand how type 1 diabetes could be managed in the classroom. Um, we also have the newly diagnosed As One um, information packs, and in there there's some posters that can be hung at school um, about how to... How to um, spot a hypoglycemic incident um, and how to manage that. Um, and and I imagine that would be good for Bella's friends as well because um, understanding why someone might suddenly be really grumpy or a bit hyperactive or whatever the response might be, friends are often the ones that will take the child to a teacher and say, so-and-so is crying, they don't feel well or whatever. So is that part of the reasoning as well? Absolutely. To... So, I mean, it's, it's the students, it's their friends, um, but it's also other teachers, support staff. So um, whereas, you know, your day-to-day teacher might know what to recognize, um, making sure all of the teachers or all of the support staff are across the signs and symptoms of a hypo and how to treat one is really important information. So... Yeah, and I imagine as well. I'm, I mean, the school playground is a tricky place to navigate. Anyway, dare I say it, particularly for little girls, um, has this had an impact on Bella's social life? Because I can't imagine you are quite so keen to drop her off on playdates or sleepovers <laughs> as yeah. you might have been. Yeah, um, that that's been probably the biggest change for her is that I can't leave her in the care of someone who doesn't know what to do if something goes wrong. Um, She's desperate. She's at that age now where everyone's starting to have sleepovers. And, I mean, I'm up three, four times a night dealing with hypos or whatever's going on with her. I can't put that responsibility on another parent. Um, So we've had some girls come and 
stay with us. But obviously that's challenging too because Bella's up during the night having juice or whatever and that impacts on the whole sleepover scenario. Well, they, they don't go to sleep anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> you just take hand it back to the parents and go, look, I took them for the night, now you deal with it. <laughs> but yeah, having leaving her anywhere is probably the one of the hardest things to get used to. I let her go off for the day with my 14-year-old niece who's very responsible but little did they know I actually stayed at the shopping centre. <laughs> I didn't follow them around but just so I was nearby of course, to her and in fact they did need me in the end which was fine but um, just leaving them in a, the care of someone who doesn't know what to do is, you know, is pretty frightening but um, as Kate was saying the more people that can be educated on what to look for is, you know, of so much value in a school environment or after school care or at dancing or swimming or wherever but it does impact on on their social life and I think I think if they do have good girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever that know what's going on that's I've heard some pretty amazing stories of friends that have saved their friend's life and Isn't that incredible so, yeah. so Kate can you tell me um Will this get easier for Olivia? I mean, so hopefully that's a yes answer. Imagine if you're like, no, it's going to get worse. I mean, obviously this is a condition that's going to have to be managed for Bella's life. Mm. Um, uh, there's no cure, is there, there's for no type cure. 1? No. Um, obviously as she gets older, she will learn to manage it herself. But as Olivia's mentioned, she's, this is the early stages for her and for Bella. Yeah. Um, have you seen that as time goes on, it's easier to manage for um, both the child and the family? What I would say is there's such a steep learning curve in the initial stages after diagnosis. Um, and then if new technology is involved, there's a learning curve with that. So something like CGM or continuous glucose monitoring, um, then there's a learning curve with that. Um, but once everyone kind of wraps their brain around what's involved and what to look for, I, I would say what I see is that it does become a bit easier because you're more familiar. You're at the plateau point of the learning curve. I'm just hoping that Olivia gets to sleep through the night again. Yeah. I, think, I mean, apart from anything else, I mean, I, I think it's terrible, obviously, that Bella has to go through this. But crikey, you, they got to five and you're like, now I'm sleeping through the night, people. I'm sleeping through the night. And now you're like, no, I'm not. No, I'm going to be up. For however long, I mean, there comes a point. So does this mean actually that even for Bella that she's going to have to wake through the night for, for you know, ever? She, look, she may. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to say. Um, there's certainly adults who still wake with hypos and have to treat them. Um, but the learning curve itself will get easier. Will get easier. Well... I'm glad we can end on that note and uh, hopefully you can tag another parent at some point, Olivia, and get some sleep as well. <laughs> and I, I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad that she got diagnosed and it sounds like a positive story. Um, thank you both for coming in. Thank, thank you. you. That was mum Olivia Crowley and Kate Goodoff from Diabetes New South Wales and ACT. If you'd like to check out some of the resources we mentioned or that Kate mentioned, we will put links up on our website. Just head to kindling.com.au. We're the Beanies. Get your child off screens and into their imagination as we explore how bubbles are made, 
What's in a sneeze? Achoo! And what's with the weather today? Professor Know-It-All knows. Hello, beanies. Hello. The The Beanies. A podcast just for kids. Subscribe now on iTunes or listen anytime on the Kindling app.